It's spooky o'clock. It's time to stay up late with America's most agnostic podcast, The Pod People. I'm Matisse Van Rossum, and you know, I'm just working out my salvation through fear and trembling. (laughs) Uh, This is Ben Sheets, and I am now part of the 3 a.m. 6 Mafia. (laughs) (laughs) Hello, I'm Cleveland Mosier, but uh, today they call me the Crucifixer. Oh, you you here to fix my cruces? Yep. Well, we're coming back at you with uh, a another Patreon pick. This pick comes courtesy of our uh, honorary pod boy, Sam Simon. Uh, and Sam has chosen uh, a film from 2005 for us to watch and talk about. It is The Exorcism of Emily Rose, directed by Scott Derrickson and starring Laura Linney, Tom Wilkinson, Campbell Scott, and Jennifer Carpenter. And I'm just going to say in advance, Sam... I know you're listening. I'm sorry, bud. We're about to spend some time being not super kind to this movie. <laughs> so, <laughs> would you guys get that out there? Now, would you guys say that this movie is Patreon or a Patreon? Uh, Patreon, maybe. Yeah. You <laughs> think so? This movie, you know what? Was, this movie was boring. <laughs> For all of my complaints, I thought it was pretty Patreon. I think that uh, a lot of the time when I when I didn't like what the movie was doing, I thought it was funny. And I was still largely. I just wanted it to go campier. Like yes. that was my favorite parts of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is a this is a movie that I like conceptually a lot more than I do in execution. It is a a, a two thousand five ass horror movie. It's got your 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 classic two thousand five horror movie aesthetic cast uh, cast and uh, just about every single demonic possession trope. In the book. Yeah. In that regard, I... Th- well, okay. I, I think that this movie is... two. It's sort of two different movies. It's like two-thirds, like, courtroom drama and one-third horror movie. I... I think it fails as a horror movie, but I think it does some interesting things as a courtroom drama. See, that's the thing of it, right? I'm going to cycle back to this comparison once or twice more, I think. But... One of my big complaints about the last Conjuring movie is there was not enough courtroom, and I thought this movie mm-hmm. really delivered on that front. The, the last Conjuring movie was it three? I don't yeah, know. The yeah, the, the third three Conjuring movie like made me do it. Is, Came out this year. Yeah, like like has about as much courtroom content. At Jesus, it did. That's yeah. how forgettable <laughs> it is. I couldn't even remember. Yeah. Like it has about as much courtroom content as there is in the trailer. Like it, it's really minimal. Yep. Um, it's more just to put pizzazz all around the edges but here like it's properly like set in a courtroom i would say like a good half of the film is is set there oh like, I, yeah more more i think i think a full yeah. two-thirds of this movie take place in the court and i i was also thinking of the conjuring three uh when we were watching this for some of the same reasons um similarly it's it's also mm-hmm. uh quote unquote based on a true story. Yeah. Um they got asked. And I would even say some of the non courtroom exorcism possession stuff felt like a proto conjuring in some ways in yes. approach. Yeah. I agree. There are jump scares even. Like in mm-hmm. the, in a similar capacity, yeah. I'm not saying that you know, that invented it. Like the like the Exorcist had jump scares, but yeah, but yeah. but very James Wan esque. 
there's some Juan-esque sequences here, for sure, for sure. But also at the same time, like, despite the fact that the movie is 16 years old at this point, by the time it came out in 2005, like, all of this kind of exorcism stuff had been done before in movies. Yes. So I don't think it's doing a whole lot original. I think, the, I think like, setting it so heavily in in the court is the most original and interesting thing it does definitely a strength i think that conceptually this kind of story could be done very well i i like the idea of having sort of a courtroom drama where a defendant is you know uh like seriously pleading uh demonic possession but i think you have to balance a very very fine line when you're making a movie like that where i don't think that you can swing too much in any direction. I think you have to really do it in a very utilitarian sort of way, like an actual court case, and present the arguments of both sides with equal credibility. It has small attempts at that. I mean, I don't think it's done fairly, but there are, like, that's why I say, like, small attempts. Yeah. Like, like you do get sequences where, like, you first see her uh, through the lens of being taken by a demon and that's the only option like the bed like things are moving around the room on their own and whatnot and then after the defense you get the alternative where we just kind of see her like on the floor like she's having a seizure and we don't know we're told what to know yeah and the thing is with the the movie it doesn't set it up so it feels like it's showing it kind of unbiased where like that doubt is a factor like it's a factor in the courtroom for the jury but we as the audience have it pretty clearly i think that's a detriment yeah we're in a big way we're supposed to be the film is telling us that we're on the side of the the middle way like laura linney is is our protagonist really you know and we're we're supposed to be on her side and like the prosecution is presented like very disdainful and and he's like an asshole and stuff like that. We're supposed to dislike him. But at the same time, it's like the actual courtroom stuff. Like I find myself siding with the prosecution a lot. Right. Like yeah. even, even with like his snarky delivery, it's like, yeah, but the words he's saying are it's like, like yeah, not incorrect. He's like, being, he's being kind of an asshole about it, but like he is uh, arguing against uh, a case where, you know, these people are trying to very uh, seriously and judiciously, like, try to argue demonic possession. And the prosecutor obviously does not uh, take that seriously. And I, I kind of, like, I, I can sympathize with that a little bit. Like, I, in, in watching the movie, I have kind of a hard time taking the, de- taking the defense's argument seriously, you know? Even though they're, like, supposed to be the ones that we're rooting for. And that was a, 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 a little tricky little dissonance to get past, I think, because I'm like, I'm kind of on the side of the prosecutors in this mm, one, you know? Yeah. But then by the end, it's supposed to be like, well, uh... Maybe she was possessed by a demon, maybe she wasn't, but justice was served, right? So that it tries to, at the end, come around and be like, no, in fact, we're actually agnostic on this. Uh, Even though it presents it yeah. totally not, like, yeah, totally is, biased for right, the entire rest of the movie. I, I have to admit, I haven't seen the Facebook movie, but from what I understand, like, that film does a good job of, like, The Social this. Network? Yeah, that one. Does it, like, present things, like, fairly split? 
I don't know. It's pretty anti Zuckerberg. Yeah, anti Zuckerberg. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it definitely like they definitely portray Zuckerberg as like a weird little asshole. Well, by ending the movie with such doubt, we can talk about the the ending more in depth. Yeah, but like ending it with kind of a doubt of he's guilty, but time served, not doing anything. Yeah. You know, you're just kind of deflating everything. It feels like such an anti-climax. With, like, courtroom dramas like this, like, you really have to go one of two perspectives, especially with a horror-themed one. You have to go, A, campy, where it's fun and very dramatic, or you have to go, B, where there is a tension and a driving kind of thrill to it, which I don't feel like this movie had. Like, a great example of that is, like, have you guys seen the movie Primal Fear? No. Okay, 90s Richard Gere and Ed Norton, and it's a courtroom thriller in a lot of ways. You know, like, Ed Norton plays this kind of stuttering man who's on trial for killing a priest, and they're, that sounds rad. Yeah, they're trying to defend against it, put doubt into the air, much like this film. There are twists and turns and narrative doubts throughout to kind of build tension. Whereas this movie, it doesn't really feel like it's building all that much tension. Well, it tries, but it tries in the most generic way possible. That you've got you've got your priest. He keeps saying to 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 our protagonist lawyer, like there are dark things that, you know, like are waiting at the wings of this trial yeah. or, sur- or circling around this trial. There's dark forces surrounding this right. trial. Right. See, yeah. I, even like trying to re-remember it, I'm trying to make it more like be- like flowery and like maybe a little better written than like the generic stuff that it is, right? there's a, Yeah, it's as simple as that. There are dark forces surrounding this trial. Oh, be scared because I'm telling you to be scared. But, if you're going like, to play into that, right. play it up. Give me some demon courtroom. Yeah, so we saw Come some on. shadowy figures. Okay. Yeah. I think the right way to approach a, a story like this is to assume that we as the audience are going to be on the quote unquote rational side, where we're not going to uh, be willing to believe in demonic possession because, you know, we live in a rational science driven world, world, so on and so forth. I think the way to, to successfully make the story compelling is throughout to have the evidence that presents itself be eerie and strange enough to sow those seeds of doubt and make us wonder, like, oh man, like, maybe there is something weird and creepy going on here. Like, to, I think to play it very straight is the way to do it, but instead, like, yeah, you've got the priest straight up telling Laura Linney, like, there's dark forces surrounding this trial. Like, she keeps waking up at at 3 a.m. every night, which is, like, the spooky hour or whatever. Her door mysteriously opens one night. The tape recorder with the exorcism recorded on it, like, starts going in the middle of the night. Like, Laura Linney is experiencing, like, weird supernatural things. And on top of that, we're seeing the the quote-unquote possession from Emily Rose's perspective where she's, like, seeing demons and shit like yeah. that. So the film is basically straight up telling us, like, she was possessed by demons. There are dark forces at work on this trial. But then at the end, it's like, well, maybe not. 
that? Who knows? See, There's no way of knowing. Damn. And at that point, it's like, at that point at the end, it feels like a fucking cop-out. And I really thought they were doing that just because of, like, the based on the true story thing. But... I took a couple of minutes before we started recording to look up this, the the true story or whatever that this is based on, and it's so loosely based on uh, something from, like, the 60s where, like, a young German girl was, like, genuinely epileptic and had, like, been experiencing, like, mental health issues through her entire life. Oh, good. And then started to, uh, started to say that she was, like, possessed by demons or whatever, and her parents and some priest... Subjected her to uh, 67 exorcisms, at the end of which she eventually died, and her parents and the priest were sentenced to like six months in prison for negligence in Germany. Well, well, that really sounds like a like a noble story. Sounds like they really did the best thing for their daughter there, huh? Sounds like yeah, wow. So like, I assumed that they weren't leaning. That's I, I assumed that they weren't <laughs> leaning into like we we kept we were talking about the beginning like oh at the end there's gonna be a courtroom demon you know the demon's gonna show up in court and they're gonna have to cast it out and that's gonna be what uh, see that would be the conjuring school of thought right there right well and i assumed they weren't doing that because it's like uh well no because this is actually based off a true story and of course a demon didn't appear in court in the true story but it's like this is one of those ones where like based on is like such a loose it's almost like a demon didn't appear at all in the original story Mm. i don't know crazy right like like, yeah, she had, like, a troubled history, etc. Like, yeah, yeah so she that- had, like, a lifelong history of, like, mental illness. Ugh. And, Ugh. and yeah, the, her, her parents made her go through 67 exorcisms. Get all those you know? demons out. Um, so, like... And then it's like after reading that, I'm like, man, they, there really was no reason for them to not just go balls to the wall and have a demon pop out of the the prosecutor at the end and say, "Objection, Your Honor." Oh man, I, I need to go on a tangent here for a go second. For Sixty-seven exorcism. How do you schedule that? Do you do it like weekly? Do they set up like a time of the week to do it? Do yeah, they? I don't know. Maybe. Let's dig into this. Let's dig into this a little bit. Yeah, I, I think um, it, it's definitely a matter of you know like regular scheduling you have to like run it through the demon secretary and make sure it all like is you know up to scratch yeah doesn't does the exorcist take your health insurance you have to figure that out Mm -hmm. is the priest just on call by the 40th time getting the call at 2 a.m in the morning just being like oh god damn it not again is your prescription of holy water and hail marys covered by your insurance yeah you know you gotta think like around 40 right like around 40 is where you're really gonna be like 40 is a lot of anything <laughs> like around that time you're, you've got to be asking yourself like hey maybe we should try like modern medicine not even from like a personal perspective of like how exhausted you would be but also just from a perspective of like oh i don't know like how dead your daughter is starting to look things are not looking good at that point like yeah. it's oh. i mean of course also like she almost looks more demonic yeah I mean, the gambler the, the, the real answer is the gambler's fallacy is a real thing right sunken costs you're sunk gonna keep- cost fallacy and also you know like people if if you are enough of a believer in god and the devil that you're seeking out an exorcist then the continued failure of that is just going to further reinforce your belief in the strength of evil and the devil like it's not a matter of of rational thought it's like at some point try modern medicine it's like no this is a it's spiritual warfare you pursue that until you're literally dead yep 
And, you know, and, and that happens. And, you know, like that is the case that's being argued in, in this film, the trial. You know, the, the priest is on trial for, for negligent homicide, you know, because uh, uh, this girl died from, from an exorcism or whatever. Again, it's like, as just like sort of rational human beings were primed to be on the side of the prosecution in this one anyway. And I don't think the movie does a good job of pleading the, the pleading the defense to us. I just, I, I think that it does it in such like an over the top corny way. Like all of that, all of the horror elements of this movie, I, I found largely unsuccessful for me because they're so fucking tropey. I thought, I thought they were tropey, but I will, I will say the execution, uh, in a lot of circumstances, like was pretty well done. And I thought they're, they're pretty well shot. It's things I've seen like loads of times before, but I thought that they were well enough executed. Uh, Sure. I'll, I'll, I'll grant, I'll grant that. Yeah. It's like, sorry, like there's, there's, been watching a lot of demonic like possession like found footage movies and stuff lately and you, i've seen these tropes a lot <laughs> a yeah. lot a lot and I mean, um, yeah we all have they've yeah. been they've been around since sure, the sure. fucking 70s oh absolutely and it's just like anyone with a camera can like roll around and scream on their bed and yeah. when it comes to rolling around and screaming on your bed i thought that the performances were pretty good like i i thought that several people in this movie were doing their damnedest with yes. the material oh my god yeah let's talk I, about that yeah, yeah i i think i think laura lenny uh, was not working with a good script or with good dialogue, but man, she was trying. Yeah, she there's, was there's delivering that it mm-hmm. as best she could. She was not checked out, and Jennifer Carpenter as Emily Rose really put her all into it. She did. She was she was doing a lot of screaming and convulsing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm surprised she didn't rupture some blood vessels in her eyes. Maybe for, she did. Maybe she did. You know, like. She was she was really, really giving it her all. Mm. And it's one of those things where, like, there were times where I felt bad laughing at it because it was funny, but she was she was trying. Yeah. And it's not her fault that it was funny. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, and, and to I think I think like in in the right scenario, like I could find it creepy. And I think your average person would absolutely still find it creepy. But uh, I mean, I think they do like this movie's like largely acclaimed. Right. Um, yeah. Uh, Not no, but it it does it does have sort of a weird a weird like <laughs> cult classic status at this point, yeah. um, which is which is why I was curious to watch this, and I think why Sam recommended it to us in the first place. Like he's not the only one who has told who has been like, oh, you should see the Exorcism of Emily Rose. Coming out the other side of it, I gotta say, I don't really see the appeal. I didn't really like this movie. But it, it does have some sort of, like, weird cult acclaim at this point. Okay, I, like, the, at least it has the courtroom spin. Like, I'll, I'll give it that. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it, concept, like, that's, that's conceptually, it's interesting. In in execution, it does a kind of bad job in a lot of regards. Yeah, I mean, yeah. if this film didn't take the whole, like, based on a true story angle, like, I'd probably feel... That was a mistake, Yeah, too. I, I'd probably mistake, feel better too. about it. Like, Well, because, especially, because, especially like, at the end, we have, like, these title cards where, like, this case uh, brought renewed attention to Catholicism and uh, Emily Rose's grave site has become a site of pilgrimage for for the devout you know to come and and pay their respects and that that shit is just not true she wasn't a fucking real person 
in in the context of this movie, it was loosely based on a real case in Germany from the 60s. But, like, saying that, like, oh, people are visiting Emily Rose's grave is, like, that's just not true. Well, it's, it's a, just not true. And it's a play. It's a con for, like, all the people who, like, significantly, like, acknowledge this stuff, right? Like, that's the other factor, like, to dig, dig into also. Like, if you want to come at it from, like, where we are from a scientific perspective or, like, like a, a more modern, like, rational mindset, that's fine. But if you want to come at it from the other perspective of, like, like a, a religious person as well, it's also really unfair. If you believe in the need for exorcisms, right, or, like, in demonic possession, spinning the truth to this degree isn't helping your case. Well, it's the same deal, right? with, it's the same deal with the Conjuring movies and the fucking Warrens. The Warrens, exactly. Who are, who are presented in those movies as, like, heroes. Yeah. And in reality, they were fucking grifters who scammed people out of money yep. with this shit, you know? Mm -hmm. And this film is trying at the same thing. And it's funny because we sound like the prosecutor in this. Are you like the alone gunsman with your Bible at your side kind of shit? And I am asking that question. Like, is that how you feel? Like, well, this movie is kind of presenting it that way. I think yeah, it is. Yeah, that's the thing. I think it, it does kind of do a, a disservice to, to people who do, do actually believe this shit because I'm not by any means trying to mock somebody's belief. Like... If you if you believe that this stuff is real, I am certainly not in a position to tell you you're wrong. I'm not that kind of an asshole. But I do think that this movie makes it hard to look at that view sympathetically. Even though it tries to, at, by the end, it tries to say that that's the point of the movie. Even in, in Laura Linney's like closing argument to the jury, she's like, I don't know if I believe it myself. And I'm not trying to tell you that she was possessed by a demon or whatever. That you have to believe what, what Father Moore says. But I am trying to tell you that he really loved and cared for Emily. And so he was trying his best. But it's like... The rest of the movie is sort of like, no, he's right. This is the only way. She's full of demons, you know? And I feel like that sort of leads into another problem that I have is that there's not an emotional core to this movie. I find it hard to feel sympathy for Emily because we don't know we don't get to know her before she's possessed there's literally one scene where she's like jumping on her bed with like some of her friends and her mom comes in she's like i got a scholarship i'm going to college and that's like after that she's immediately yeah. possessed so we don't see what she was like there's this whole undercurrent of like Oh, the the priest was really doing his best because they were his parishioners and he loved her and he truly like wanted to help her. But we see none of their relationship yeah. no, prior to this. Yeah. Or tell and not show. Yeah, it's all it's all tell and not show. Like there's there's no reason to become emotionally attached to these people. There's no time where we see like Emily as like a little girl like going to confession to with the the priest and being like, Oh, you know, I sinned because I pushed a girl down on the playground and I'm scared I'm going to hell or something. And, you know, he comforts her and shows that like, oh, he really cares, you know, like he David, does a great example of a scene that that movie needed to have. Yeah, it, just anything like that. Yeah. And it's it's so split focused between the the possession itself, which is just tropey and ridiculous and then this sort of like very dry courtroom stuff where the people whose side we're supposed to be on don't do a good job of getting us there yeah and with the courtroom sequences like i feel like 
the fact that it wants to be a horror movie and puts in those aspects really undermines the kind of themes they're going at. Because, you know, you could make a film that kind of explores the ideas that, like, there are things beyond science. You know, science is limited by human measurement, and there could be things outside of those bounds. And, you know, how can you argue against that? And there's a really cool premise there. I would love to see that done maturely. But you have to do that where there's doubt. And by emphasizing these tropey fucking exorcism scenes interspersed in between it tries to crowd please but kind of loses the plot of its own movie in the process i couldn't stop thinking of like the potential that this movie had i kept thinking it as like a mini series have either of you guys seen the the hbo mini series from like 2016 the night of mm-hmm. with john Turturro and riz ahmed no, I I was thinking about starting it. At some it's point, it's really it's it's really good. It feels generic in the first couple episodes, but it it comes around really well. I mean, it's it's a similar kind of thing minus the the supernatural aspect, where like this this young man uh, who's I I forget now he's either Arab or Pakistani or something is accused of of murdering this this woman. And it's unclear whether he actually did or not. But it ultimately ends up not really being about that. It ends up sort of being about how, like, the carceral system in this country, like, takes people into it and sort of chews them up and turns them into something that they were not to begin with. Anyway, I I kept thinking about this movie or this uh, a story like this told in a similar way over the course of like maybe five or six episodes where it's really heavy on the courtroom stuff and doesn't show all of the like spooky exorcism stuff and presents that doubt through more subtle ways like the climax of this movie is like the the exorcism scene which they have a tape recording of that they play in court and we simultaneously, like, see a flashback to it. And it's just so over the top, you know. It's Jennifer Carpenter speaking in tongues and thrashing around on the bed. And then she fucking jumps out the window and it's storming. And they go out into the barn and there's uh, fucking literally snakes falling from the ceiling. And the horses... Jello like, shit, like, right? It's, like, yeah. like Italian, like, campy shit. Yeah. It's so fucking ridiculous and over the top. And tro- it's just like throwing every demonic possession trope at the wall. And then it cuts back from that to the court of them, like, turning the tape recorder off. And it's like, yeah, that was the recording of that night. And I just thought about, like, how a more mature, like, version of this would not show any of that. Just have the audio. Just have the audio. Just have them start playing the audio recording. No music put a lot of work into into crafting like something that is evocative and eerie and strange and kind of inexplicable in ways as just like an audio piece and just have a sh- like a 5 minute scene where we just hear that audio play out and like see people like the faces of the people in the courtroom listening to it and I think that that kind of tone would be so much more interesting for something like this because it would allow 
even skeptical audience members who know that it's fake, that it's a, a story to be like, oh, you know, that does kind of shed some doubt. Like, what was that that I heard on the tape, you know? Mm-hmm. Instead of seeing literal snakes falling from the ceiling of the barn as uh, Jennifer Carpenter pops every vein in her forehead and screams about how she's Lucifer in the flesh. I was really hoping, like, when she screamed that last time and, like, the, the, the horses, like, kick kick open their, their stalls, uh, that she was going to, like, leap up onto the back of a black horse and ride away. And gallop off into the <laughs> night. Yeah, I was really hoping for that. Like, because at that point, rolled. like, she's already, she's already leapt through a window, you know, she's already, like... Man, her jumping out the window is so funny. Uh, it's so good. Yeah, well, she's wearing, like, kind of like a, like a goofy skirt, and so, like, it just, it makes it... The well, whole she's wearing situation. a nightgown. She just, it's just, yeah, it's just the like exorcist yeah. costume. Um, yeah. You know... I think one of the other ways you could approach that scene is kind of play with the idea of an unreliable narrator. Absolutely. If this whole exorcism scene was retold by the dad who gets kicked in the face by a horse, then yes, it <laughs> sows doubt, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's great. But the problem is, is that the, uh, the, the movie wants to play at, it, it wants to try and con people, you know? Like, I, I feel, anyway, like that's, that's my perception of it. Like, it wants people to come out and be like, oh, wow, yeah, there is doubt. You know, like, oh, man, you know, maybe these things can happen. And it's like, no, the instance this is pulled from is, you know, was like someone who was schizophrenic and needed help. And like, it's not good, you know, like, it's not like fucking helpful for people. Here's the thing, right? I love a good demonic possession movie. Like, I, I don't, and I don't think that like demonic possession, mo- I, don't, I don't even feel like I really need to say this. So I'm gonna say it anyway. Like, like demonic possession movies fucking rule. They're fun. I like a good one. Let's spray some pea soup everywhere. Let's crab walk down the stairs all day. That's, that's fucking dandy. It's the basing on a true story thing. And again, I know that like that a lot of people roll their eyes at that too and be like, oh, well, it's such a trope to like base it on a true story and for it to not really mean much of anything. And like, okay, well, I think that it's poorly based on a true story. Like, and I think most are, and I agree with that. Like Hollywood loves to pull that shit, but it doesn't do anything for me. I think that well, like no, because, paying respect and because you know, what is, it, is important. Yeah, what it does when a movie like this starts with a card, with a title card that says based on a true story, it demands from you at least a certain degree of taking it seriously. Yeah. Even if it's just based or inspired by a true story, it's saying to you, there is a kernel of truth here that you need to take seriously, viewer. And... When the end result is a movie like this, I don't know how I could take most of this movie seriously. I don't know how they could expect me to take some of this stuff seriously. You know, and like maybe we're getting too bogged down in that, but it does feel like, yeah, if, if this if this didn't go out of its way to like try to be like, this is this this really happened, then. I, it would be much easier for me yeah. to write it off. Well, so, and know? let's, you know, like to, for the sake of due diligence too, like let's let's look at something else that does this, but to a much larger degree. Fargo, right? Fargo says the beginning based on a true story and is in no way, uh, well, it's kind of a spoiler for Fargo, but like it, it says like, you know, like, like the movie like starts by saying based on a true story. It is in no way based on anything. Like, well, because the theme, the overarching theme of Fargo, the movie and the the series is it's about people lying. Yep. 
Yeah. It's about people telling untruths in order to further their own agendas. So the idea that Fargo starts with the Coen brothers saying, hey, this is based on a true story, it's a nudge, nudge, wink, wink thing. I don't know if it's it's uh, necessarily a great example, but them, them telling you it's based on a true story is a, is an artistic decision that has purpose other than to in the case of horror movies, to scare people. Because your average audience is like, what, this is based on a true story? Oh, man, so ghosts and demons are real, huh? Mm -hmm. Even though I know the movie I just watched was fake. You go home, it's like, ooh, that maybe there are demons. You wake up at 3 a.m. and look at your clock and say, ooh, it's spooky o'clock. Yeah. There are some, like, you know, actors and stuff out there that do really play into that, too, that can be obnoxious. I will say this movie has some really nice sequences. Like one of the most standout sequences for me was the the foggy sequence where yes, her Emily Rose her vision. Yeah, her vision. I thought that was excellently shot. It was probably the spookiest legitimately scene of the movie. Yes. Um, uh mostly through set design, I think. Yes. Or through through production design. Very silent hill I mean, yeah, full it's, of fog. It, it's evocative enough that it was the, the post the like the poster for this movie, you know. Her walking through the mist in her nightgown towards this like big spooky tree. And the you know, I, I do think that that scene is is I would agree is one of the better the better executed scenes in the movie. It's when why wasn't there more of that? Like like more like cause like they, they allude to like journey into the mind stuff like well up to that point give me some more like well i mean i think you can argue that uh just about every scene of demonic activity in the movie is a journey into the mind yeah, we don't same, see it and like it looks cool is what i'm saying like yeah what i'm saying is like like yes she's she's having those moments in other words, that's every one of those is an opportunity to, to do more cool spooky tree in the fog shit, yeah i mean which, which looked really good like give me more all you need is a bunch of fog machines and a tree anyway yeah, also, like, if they'd done too many scenes at the same location, it would have uh, robbed it of its effect, yeah, I would think. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have wanted to see too much Well, not the it. same spooky tree, but, like, other... There, there's other, a lot of cool, spo other spooky trees. Other spooky things in the fog. Like, like you know, like, I just... I think it looked cool, and, and I think that, you know, like, Silent Hill's literally an entire game of that, and it works. So, like, that's yeah. all I'm saying. Give us the unknown behind the fog. Yeah. Give us demons behind the fog. I don't know. Yeah, I want to yeah. see one demon. It's yeah, a demon movie. Oh, like, uh, well, we do in the clouds. You see the, the big scary face in the clouds. And in the fog on the window. Yeah. It, which is the same image. It's the exact yeah. same image. Yeah. yeah. Well, and then after that, she runs out into the rain, and every person she passes uh, has Grave Encounter's face. Well, I guess you see when you see uh, Pazuzu's face on the, the microwave in... Uh, Oh, in The Exorcist. In the Exorcist. Yeah. Dude, when I was when I was a youth and I saw that, it scared the fuck out of me. I don't know. If I was younger and it's I saw kind this of a movie, it's I'd kind of a jump scare. Yeah. 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 Like if I was younger and I saw I saw this movie, like maybe it would have scared me more. But yeah, probably. You know, like yeah. that's the thing. It's I like, mean, I I vaguely remember seeing theatrical trailers for this movie before it came out and yeah. thinking that it looked scary. Yeah. It's so. But scary I mean, I was twelve when it came out. It's so, so scary that no classroom turns their lights on. Yeah, that was so, that was fucking weird. Mm -hmm. She's like in a college class and it's like at night and the lights are off. Uh, yeah. And it's like, why? Well, because it need to be spook. <laughs> you know, it needs to, it needs to be scary. Taking uh, night class a little too seriously. <laughs> yeah, like it's, that, that's the thing too. I, I, and I think, you know, maybe some would argue that like 
all of those scenes are like overly spooky because it's like, oh, well, maybe that's just how she was perceiving it or whatever. But it presents it in such a way, it presents it in such a literal way. Like the house, like the farmhouse is like such a generic, like haunted house Mm -hmm. ass building. It felt that felt like it was straight out of a James Wan movie. There's all of this in so many scenes. There's like unmotivated purple light. That was really bizarre. That it's, I it's got to have some up. kind of meaning because yeah. like, it's even in like it's it's there's a lot of intent there. Uh, there's even sequences where uh, fuck what's 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 her name? What's the the lawyer's name? What's the actress's name? I Laura keep, Linney. Laura Linney. God, my brain keeps wanting to say Liza Minnelli. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, that's not. That that's, is not correct. No, that's not. Right. I know, no, it's not. But it's still like, yeah, Lisa, Lisa Minnelli, uh, um, uh, is uh, talking to her, uh, like the head of the firm, you know, and like there's like the, a, a a glass window, like a fog glass window behind him, like in the 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 lawyery building, and yeah. like it's purple there too. And yeah, it's there's it, like a lot of little moments. Yeah, there's purple shit in the background, mm-hmm. and I uh, I don't know what the it's all, yeah, it's almost it's almost like it's, it's almost always coming through like a window in the background or something. But it's 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 haunted house ass lighting. Yeah, like it's it's completely unmotivated. The one time where I can I I'll buy it a little bit is like when she goes into the church. When she's first like seeing everybody possessed, because you know in the church there's stained glass windows. Yeah, you know. Okay, then I can see some some purple lighting from the windows or whatever. Well, it's probably just, around the time that "Smoking on Purple" by Lil Boosie came out, so maybe it has to do. Maybe the the writer or director was listening to that a lot. Maybe you know that's that should have been. They should have done uh, a whole Boosie score for this movie. It would have boosted bo- boosted the <laughs> the quality or whatever. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'm too tired I went, I went to see house of gucci last night house of and gucci. i and i came out of it uh and i said to my friend who i went to see it with i was like i was like man i wish we had gone to see house of gucci main instead <laughs> <laughs> that would have been more interesting i would have much rather watched a three-hour movie about gucci main yeah it's just it's just them saying gucci gang the entire movie that's little pump that's a different guy wait little gucci <laughs> Does Lil Gucci? Lil, wait. Lil, Lil Pump does Gucci Gang. Okay. Gucci Gang, Gucci Gang, Gucci Gang. And who Gucci did you gang. want the movie to be about? Gucci, Gucci Mane. Who does not say that Gucci no, Gang. No, he says Burr. Yeah, he says Burr. <laughs> I learned something today. Well, I yeah, always thought the Gucci Mane. Because he's, so, he's so icy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but I. See. <laughs> so, it's, so, it's, so he's cold. Burr. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I just. So, yeah, my, my bad for thinking that Gucci Mane is the one who says Gucci Gang. No. No. Wow. Incorrect. Wow. Stupid me. Wow. What a dumb assumption to make. You know what this movie was missing? <laughs> a Johnny Cochran figure. Yes. It needs someone just loud and outrageous saying, you know, if the demon don't fit, you must have quit. <laughs> yeah, but remember this the movie wants you to take the that wants you to take the defense seriously for I don't some care. reason. Yeah. Uh, well, no, I agree with you, man. Like they the the seriousness uh of of a lot of this film is uh is I think a lot of its undoing. I mean, that I I was saying earlier that this kind of story could be done better more seriously, but I think that this movie's particular salvation would be to lean into the the corniness. Well, that's the thing. It ha- it leans into so many crowd-pleasing jump scary moments. Yeah. Just go whole hog. 
Yeah. Just give me a Cochrane fix. Give me a demon courtroom. God damn it. That's yep. all I'm asking for. Yeah, I would love to see the judge or something get possessed by a demon, and it ends with all of the windows uh, shattering in, and there's a storm, and the priest has to, you know, he says he stands up and he's yelling at the bailiff, "Uncuff me, uncuff me! I have to, I have to begin the exorcism ritual. See, the judge is possessed." See, <laughs> honestly, I was hoping that the the priest was truly possessed. After the fact, and they were kind of setting it up. Him seeing like the man in the clothes. After they acquit him, he's like, "Yes, I am free." Well, they they do something similar to that in that like they set up at the beginning that Laura Lenny had like just gotten some other guy off who uh, they thought had murdered somebody. No, she proved he was innocent, and like it made her like a big celebrity public defender Mm -hmm. or whatever and then like halfway through the movie there's like a news report that like that dude murdered somebody else and it turns out he was guilty and i thought that was going to be like her real dark night of the soul moment you know where because at the beginning like she even says she's like i don't i don't know if i believe in god or not i'm agnostic like they use the the term agnostic multiple times and i thought that that was going to be like her true crisis of faith where you know like oh man i defended somebody who i truly believed to be innocent and it turned out that they were guilty and they killed somebody else it's my fault you know like there is evil in the world am i doing the right thing by defending this guy and then there's there has to be a moment later where she's, you know, where her faith is restored or whatever. I totally thought they were setting up for that. And they just kind of don't. No. Like, they use it as kind of like an insulting thing to her. Like, when the, the head of the firm is, like, scolding her later for putting the priest on the stand. And she's like... She's like, he just wants to tell Emily's story or whatever. He's like, is that what uh, so-and-so did who just killed two other people and is, was actually guilty? It's like, what? what? What's going on here? <laughs> why, why, aren't you, why aren't you using that, that plot device in the way that it should be used? Yeah, yeah it just felt kind of clumsy. Yeah, like, and whether or not like we got what we wanted in a demon courtroom scene, I definitely was left wanting, like, feeling like there was going to be a a final confrontation. The exorcism scene happens, and then the movie goes on for, like, another 20, 30 well, well, minutes here's the, thing. The, the exorcism scene, like, one of the exorcism scene hap- scenes happens. Because... Like the 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 big one where she says that she's Lucifer or whatever, and then the uh, horse kicks her dad in the head, and they have to stop. Um, like, I mean, that's the last exorcism scene. They don't exorcise her again. They don't exorcise her again, but she dies, and we don't see it, right? right. Like, and that's what I'm getting at. So w- when that scene ends, they failed, and she's still alive, like in the flashback, and they're gonna bring him back to to do like like to testify further. Okay, cool. We're, we're set up for a third act. Like in in that moment, like while watching the movie, I'm thinking like, all right, cool. There's still like more of her story because we haven't seen her die, you know, which it's kind of important to do. Like I don't know, like you can show the photo of her her dead, but like seeing like the events that lead up to her actual death, what state she's in when she dies, and why they never sent her to a fucking hospital, um, you know, like like would be really cool. That'd be really neat to see, and we don't. 
So, I mean, like, it's just, like, that's when you think, like, okay, cool, this is when a demon's going to show up in the courtroom or, like, a demon is going to try and attack our protagonist in some capacity because, like, they've already been, like, foreshadowing that, right? Like, we get, like, her door opening in her house and, like, other, like, weird, creepy things are happening. The doctor who was at the scene, like, who was, like, a pretty crucial, like, element of the case is killed by a car I did not demons. I totally called that. You did call that. Yeah. Like you, you called like. Well, the... he sees he sees something over her shoulder before he backs into the street and is hit by a car. Yeah, we don't see what he sees. Presumably, it's a demon. A demon, yeah. Like, that's that's the way. And so, like, this demon is still out there and behind the scenes pulling some shit, right? Cool. That means, like, in exorcism film fashion, we have to put it away. We have to lock it away. If it goes into somebody else, we still need to we still need to do it. Which happens, you know, in exorcism movies, right? The demon hops from someone else or whatever. Hops to somebody else. Cool. All right. Let's uh, let's see that. And instead. Well, because uh, they're trying to present it as being based on a true story, they have to leave it ambiguous at the end. They can't have the demon continuing to act because, ooh, you know, we don't we don't really know what happened. Well, at least let me see her death. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, like give me give me like I don't even even if we don't get the demon at the end or whatever, like I need some kind of like visual climax, right? Like I like mean, it'd be really think, nice to get something. I think that's supposed to be her her revelation dream in the fog where she sees a vision of the Virgin Mary who tells her that she is basically a martyr who will bring knowledge of the the spiritual battle taking place to the world you know that she that's why she's possessed that it's that it is god's plan because through the publicity of her case it's going to reaffirm people of faith that like god and the devil are real and they're waging a battle and you have to be on the side of righteousness like that's why also, she. That's why she don't develop any opinions. This is based on a true story. Like, right. yeah, in well, the same I mean, breath. They, and you know, they that the way they pull that off is that like it's because she wrote it to oh, him in the, in the letter. You know, she wrote about that dream in the letter, and he reads it in court. So that's how we know that was that was what she believed, and and that was her wishes. But I mean, I agree with you that it's not climactic. With a more artistic touch, I think that could be profound. But in a movie this kind of clumsy and and simultaneously dreary and also goofy, like that that kind of ending doesn't have the gravitas that it should, I guess. Yeah. Well, it doesn't help that like, like I, I, see don't, what I don't I don't believe like I don't I, I see don't, what like, they're going for. Mm. Yeah, I see what they're yeah. going for, but I don't buy it. Is mm-hmm. the problem, you know? Well, because I mean, to, yeah, to to buy it, you'd have to like buy angels and demons and shit. Yeah, well, the and, the, and bears, oh my! The, the, like, I think the the thing is, is like the the way that a story done like this done seriously has to leave you is it shouldn't it, exactly like Laura Linney says to the to the jury, like it shouldn't be the goal of the movie to make you believe in demons one way or another. It should just make you believe that Emily believed. Her belief is important. She believes that she's possessed by the devil. Whether you believe that or you think she's just mentally ill, 
that's totally up to you and it should be left that way and that's what the film tells you at the end you're supposed to think but that's not what the film shows you throughout the entire like hour and 40 minutes preceding Mm -hmm. that you know Mm -hmm. by the time it gets to the end it feels like it's sort of pulling the rug out from under you where it like spends the whole movie showing you like very heavy-handed demonic possession stuff and then at the end being like ha you dumb idiot you're not supposed to believe in this one way or another. It could have happened, but also maybe not, you stupid fucking dunce. It feels disingenuous. Yeah. Yeah, the the scene where Laura Linney like finds the the locket in the snow. Um the fuck is, was that? Is it's yeah. a scene you should show in fucking acting classes for how to like fucking read terrible dialogue the best way possible. Because like Laura Linney's performance there is like really cuts through his genuine like over like the most generic like dumb dialogue i respect the shit out of it frankly i think i think laura linney's an amazing actress and uh yeah like i i can't wait for the next season of ozark to see more of her performances yeah she's, like, she's, she's, she's so good and like we've mentioned she's really trying with this mm-hmm. she's really yeah. really trying yeah. and i think that is a good example of it because she does managed to present that scene in a way that kind of feels genuine, like feels as genuine as it can with the the dialogue that she's working with. Because she's literally just telling the priest that she went for a walk to clear her head and found a locket that, that happened to have her exact ign- initials carved on it. And the priest is like, oh, that's a sign. Are you wearing the locket now? And she's like, well, no. He's like, you should be. And so she does for, like, the the last day in court or whatever. But my question is, whose fucking locket was that? Did she—she never once opens the locket to see what's inside. Yeah, but it's a locket. Like, it has something in it. Exactly. Exactly. It's not just, like, a necklace that has— initials engraved on it like it's a locket there's, you know, uh, there's like something imagining she opens it and it's that silly demon face <laughs> <laughs> but like um, re- realistically like it's just a picture just some random person's picture because she just found a locket in the snow but, but, but also like, if she opened the locket it had her initials on it she opened the locket and there was nothing inside that's spooky and a missed opportunity in that same scene and and then him saying wear it well yeah it it, it has even more context i think because it's like yeah like there's no photo inside the locket you know but like lockets are designed to like hold like something you know as you like wear it around your neck and it's like jangling around so like why is there nothing inside the locket i don't know miracles cool like at least then like there it's a little bit more like it's more deeper she fills it with her newfound faith exactly you know exactly it represents whatever and yeah and you can graft that on yourself like the movie doesn't need to say it yeah i totally agree there doesn't have to be anything in the locket but but the locket does have to be open something's in it it has to be open even if it's nothing like and it'd be cool to know like uh and maybe she does maybe we just missed it but no okay no because when because as soon as she found like she picks it up and she's like it had my initials on it ecb my middle name is christine it's like as soon as that happened i'm like okay what was in it and we see it hanging around her neck at the end like before you know they deliver Hmm. their closing statements they do a close-up and we see it never opens it 
And I totally agree with you. There doesn't have to be anything inside. There can be nothing inside. I think nothing is the best answer. To, I think it's... But it has to be opened, right? Yeah. Like, it, because yeah. if it's not, then it's she just found, found somebody's, somebody's locket, locket on, the, well, on the street and decided to wear it. And that's the problem. Is that, and that's why I, I just, I don't think it was thought through, right? Okay. Locket has her initials on it. Cool. She opens the locket. She sees somebody else's face. All right. Yeah. This feel, isn't my locket. I feel, like, I feel like ECB are not even particularly like unusual initials you know and she even says she's like she's like it's my exact initials does that mean something or is it just coincidence and again it's supposed to be like oh well does it actually mean anything or does it just mean something to her but why do we never see what's inside it yeah it's a locket lockets are meant for holding something special Mm -hmm. a picture of somebody you love like a a lot like a lock of a child's hair something like lockets are specifically designed to carry something special inside and the fact that the film never addresses what is in the locket even if it's nothing is Mm -hmm. such a weird detail yeah i mean even if like she opens it and like we don't see it that's another option right do do the do the indiana yes. jones it you know like pulp, or fiction, pulp, pulp, it, yeah. pulp fiction it yeah like like have her open it up and have a big golden light come out of it the locket can be a MacGuffin, yeah. but as, as that, that's fine but as it stands mm-hmm. it's not yeah i think that they're just there are a number of like opportunities that are like like kind of like half played out and not fully addressed I get like that. The reason is to to instill doubt, but again, there are so many other circumstances where they 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 may. I, I just I feel like they they make it very clear, like they what do, side of the aisle they're on. Yeah, they do so much of the film so literally, and then tell you that uh, no, it's actually about doubt. And it's like, well, then make me as the audience doubt. That's your job as the storyteller present it to me with doubt if you don't want me to land on one side of it you know yep you guys have anything else <sighs> no, no i feel like we've covered this one pretty thoroughly yeah uh i found the score uh obnoxious yeah um it's very typical like early to mid 2000s horror score really heavily orchestrated lots of strings very loud um yeah i mm-hmm. I, I found it annoying i will say for a mid-2000s movie it wasn't as blue or green as no. i was expecting True. it was it was not as uh as monochromatic as a lot of horror movies from that era but it does have the very mid-2000s aesthetic choice of like very high contrast yes, yes. they bump the contrast way up the the darks are real dark um <laughs> yeah and it, yeah the, the colors are pretty uh like the the blues are, are coming in pretty strong and like one of the last sequences like it's the generic yeah, cemetery are, scene in the rain under the yeah. black umbrella like you get that you know the the prison cell where the the priest is is kind of green tinted yeah. but uh, it's not too bad though like in any no, circumstances no and and like at least it, at least there's some some variety and i really Instead like the of, cinematography the the framing is great like it's uh, nicely shot like i yeah I, I really liked the like the the look of the movie there are a few instances like where like emily's being possessed and the camera kind of lurches towards her and it's kind of like the cameraman was drunk mm-hmm. um oh uh largely I, I i liked i liked that and 
you know, I thought some of the shots of her like rolling her eyes up into the back of her head like looked good, and yeah, you know, I like thought, she she put in a, a hell of a performance. As I well. thought the the editing in the scene where like the the boyfriend is like staying at her dorm and he wakes up and like doesn't see her, and then it kind of like hard cuts to her like sort of contorted on the floor staring at him. Like I thought that was kind of creepy. Uh, just in just in that like it's it's very jarring, so it, it kind of unsettles in that way um man we can't talk about the boyfriend without talking about that terrible adr <laughs> yeah oh must, fuck thank you i forgot man, about it must that have been, it must have been a windy ass day or something yeah because yeah. there's that scene where he's sitting in the park with laura lenny and she doesn't have any lines in that sh- it's it's like two shots it's like mm-hmm. a shot reverse shot and yeah he's just like barely moving his lips but like his audio is so like it doesn't sync up it's, Once uh, again, like a Jallo film. Yeah, it was very, very noticeable ADR. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, hey. And for like a movie with like that kind of production value, it was just a surprise. And again, too, the only thing you really need to do to fix it is just like have the actor like whisper more into the mic and talk like that, this. Because he, ta- he was talking more like um he was talking more like this. And even at this level, like you have to move your mouth and lips like a decent amount. And it's like, he should have been talking like this. Because like it's, it's just, and again, in the studio, you can do that. You're already doing the ADR. So like... Why is it? I don't know. It was really rough. Scene because it's an unnecessary scene. Also, that it feels like one of those one of those things to me where they probably on set didn't realize how bad the audio was until they got it back to to the editing bay and we're like ah shit we really don't have time to go shoot this again like let's just get the actor in here and adr it you know it's like two shots i just don't think the adr was very good i mean no it it wasn't i'm not arguing with you on that um it it definitely is noticeable because it happens all the time you know like like and that's fine like in the wrong adr but it, well, yeah, it it felt like it felt like a rush job yeah. to me. Um, One last bit of speculation: we watched the unrated version. Oh, and this movie is originally released as a PG thirteen movie. Yeah. Seems right, but with this unrated cut, I don't think I saw anything that wouldn't work in a PG thirteen movie. Do no. You, did you guys notice anything? Was there a drop of blood in this whole movie? No, I don't. I think don't think so. so. No, not even when the dad got kicked in the head. No. I mean, yeah, her like her face is kind of scratched up, you know, but there's like it's not a bloody or gory film or anything like that. Maybe in the PG-13 version they didn't show the the postmortem. Yeah. Photograph. I was thinking like, the same thing. Maybe I could see them cutting around yeah. that. I don't know. Is is somebody sitting in a corner eating spiders too too much for a PG thirteen? Is that is that a deserving? There's a spider. 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 It's deep in my soul. I've soul. used that sound bite like three times. <laughs> yeah, on the yes. um, it just won't let go. I, uh, <laughs> I, that, whole I, song. that that fucking that scene was pretty funny though because yeah. like it's like they see her just see her like in the corner doing something it sort of pans around she's got like a pile of like dead spiders and bugs a cartoonishly large and, pile and she, of spiders and she puts she like puts one in her mouth and then she turns around to the sister or the dad or something and she just goes yeah <laughs> like the spiders just like the dead spiders just like sitting on her tongue and it's got like this like dramatic 
like music sting. <laughs> like it's supposed to be scary, but it's like just one of the it, silliest well, things. That's it, the only re- the only reason to me it doesn't work is because there's a pile of them. Why it, it's it's moreism. I've talked about this before. It's it's like like more is not always better. The fact that why is there a pile of them? There doesn't need to be. It just I just have her pick up a dead spider from the corner. That's more believable. It's scarier. But like, like that, the fact there's like eight of them, like in front of her, oh, like more like, than eight. It's a yeah. whole yeah. pile. And of course, she's, and I guess it's to foreshadow that she can like summon fucking like a like summon the animals like fucking Aquaman an army of cats. Yeah, like oh, oh, my, oh the, yeah, fuck. the cats. Yeah, <laughs> GBPB. The fucking cats that come okay. in. Okay, okay. I used to have a, a collection of comics that I was I was going through for for, for a friend of mine, um, and it spanned through like like a, a bunch from like the seventies that were like. Really really corny right mm-hmm. and my favorite of all of them because you get a lot of like one-off like like uh, bad guys and stuff that like they're just like really campy and dumb but my favorite one was i can't remember who was fighting it was like nova or somebody but it was it was el gato knight of a thousand claws and <laughs> and and you said like the villain he's got like a kind of cat-like features and a, a cape and he's pointing at like nova or whatever superhero and they're just being decked by like 40 cats and like i just loved that idea of like like a cat mancer, like this like villain that can just like control cats for no reason. Um, uh, and there's definitely a moment like that in this movie. It made me think of the the scene in uh, Let the Right One In a little bit, uh, uh, yeah. where the dude gets attacked by all the cats, and it's really bad CG. Um, Wait, the American one? No, the the original. I'm trying to remember that from Swedish the original one. Yeah, it's it's like the the only like bad part of the movie, and it, and bad I just mean. And like, because the CG looks terrible. Yeah, uh, that film's great. Re- yeah, that movie's I, it, it is great. The running uh, of water sequence is really good. But uh, yeah, in in this movie during the exorcism, uh, she is uh, counting to six in multiple languages because we learn that she's possessed by six demons uh, and. Uh, at one point, like, the door pushes open and, like, some of the family cats run in. And while she's counting, it she's like, one, two, three. And there's a shot of three cats sitting on one side of the dad. Ah, and she's ah, like, ah. four, five, six. And then there's the other three on the other side of the dad. And he's just like, huh? And then one of the cats is like, just like jumps up <laughs> into his face. It's so funny. Like, how can they expect us to take that shit serious? Yeah, and it's like, okay, so clearly, like, in, in, in real life, the girl didn't, like, didn't, like, summon cats into the, into the room to attack her dad, right? Well, like, yeah, I don't think there were that probably, shit didn't happen. I, I don't think there were so, probably really snakes falling mm, from the ceiling during so, the exorcism either. In conclusion, like, to further Ben's point, why the fuck didn't a demon appear in the courtroom? There yeah. might as well be at yeah. that point. You're already doing shit like that. Pick a lane. I, exactly. Pick a lane. Exactly. All right, uh, that's it for me. Yeah, let's rate this. This is going to be a two out of five for me. I didn't really like it. I thought the... Uh, the horror stuff was too tropey and goofy. Meanwhile, the uh, courtroom stuff, while interesting conceptually, takes too much of a hard line uh, stance only to then later be like, well, no, we're agnostic and you should be too, you dumb idiot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm in a pretty similar boat. I feel like this movie was conceptually interesting but kind of squandered because they couldn't pick a lane and ultimately like the kind of crowd pleasing horror kind of did it 
disservice to kind of the themes and the themes of the movie did a disservice to the fun so you just had a balancing act of kind of mediocrity uh this is a two out of five for me i think the concept is cool again but i want to see it done right i'm gonna give i'm gonna give like a little extra just because again like i think i think the concept was neat and i did enjoy like a lot of the courtroom sequences even if it like isn't reflective of like an actual court in any capacity it's movie court that's fine when she had leapt out the window and the, the dad's being attacked by cats and the the snakes are like 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 the the rubber snakes are like falling from the ceiling and shit like i hey, i was i was hooting and hollering credit. they got real snakes okay that's fair yeah they're, they're throwing snakes on the actors like i was uh, i was uh i was hooting and hollering like i was i was getting a good gig a lot of the movie um and i i personally like even during the tropier sequences i was still enjoying them i think that they were they were executed all right i don't think every movie needs to be original i don't think that every idea needs to be something i've seen before i just think it should be like executed pretty well i think a lot of the sequences were overall though i I can't say that for every sequence i think that like sitting on a park bench talking to the doctor like other stuff like that was largely pretty boring. Uh, so I'm going to say 2.5. I, I think uh, there were some good, some good. Uh, and also, again, like Laura Linney, like like great performances uh, from the majority of the cast. I think they're working with what they could. And uh, yeah, so overall, yeah. 2.5. I'm not I'm not so hard on this movie. I mentioned it earlier, but like if you're looking for a courtroom thriller, watch Primal Fear. It has Laura Linney in it even. Oh, Ooh. So okay. yeah. There you go. Yeah, I mean, there's a number of of courtroom dramas that aren't supernatural that are you know more interesting uh but anyway that'll give the exorcism of emily rose an average of 2.2 out of five um again sorry sam sam sorry bud uh i hope that i hope this wasn't uh, too painful for you um but you didn't like army of the dead as much as we did so you know what fuck you (laughs) <laughs> just wow just no kidding. yeah wow you. no uh, i love you we love you sam uh and uh yeah i think i i'm still i'm still glad i watched it because i've heard this one brought up a lot in like some of the spheres that i'm in i was glad to finally like get a chance to see yeah. it so I'm, I'm glad we probably, watched it i probably won't ever watch it again yeah no, uh, I, I i don't see but why. at least i can at least i can say that i've seen it yeah and you know what sam so, like so glad we picked it sam we text you're more than welcome to uh to debate me on this one after after the eulis of the episode by all means i'm 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 more than open to uh to arguments mm-hmm. um now i've got a few friends who i think have recommended this film to me as well i'm definitely yeah, well, sam, sam, wasn't, sam wasn't the only one like i said yeah. um so, so like, maybe we missed something you know like maybe we missed some cues or something in this film i'm i'm very open to that like i said i'm 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 open to a to a spirited argument um anyway Next week, uh, it is going to be our last episode before uh, we get into our end-of-the-year stuff. So uh, it'll be the last uh, film that we talk about in 2021, and it's my pick, right? Indeed. Uh, I I've fretted over this one for a while because I had a few, a few in mind, but I decided on a film that I saw for the first time, I think, in 2020 – and uh, have sort of been thinking about ever since that I'm uh, very excited to talk about on the podcast. I am going to be uh, choosing another film from 2005, actually. Oh. It is a Japanese found footage horror film, maybe one of my favorite found footage horror films ever made. Wow. Definitely my favorite, one of my favorite uh, Japanese horror films. Uh, and we're going to be talking about Noroi, The Curse, 
by uh, Koji Shiraishi. Uh, so stay tuned for that. Uh, it's it's fucking awesome. The return of J horror. <laughs> the return of J horror. Uh, we haven't done a, a J horror on the the podcast in a while. Who's J horror? <clears throat> He's friends with Silent Bob horror. No. <laughs> Fuck. Very good. All right. Uh, <laughs> sponsor time. This episode is brought to you by Bucket O Clams, the fun kind. Tonight, we're going to celebrate as a family. We're going to sit down and share in a bucket of caring and responsibility. A bucket of clams. Aha, the French clam pain. (laughs) (laughs) There's a certain clam pain by Paul Mersaw. There you go. Uh, Yeah, the fun kind. Uh, Are you having fun? I sure hope so. How could you not listen to us complain about a movie for an hour and uh, and not just be having a, just a fun bucket of clams. I certainly am. Thank you, Clam Bucket. Thank you, Clam Bucket. Well, that'll do it for us this week. Um, if you like the show, you can uh, head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star rating and a nice review. We'd really appreciate that. I really would. Um, you can also support us uh, on Patreon at patreon.com slash podpeoplepod. If you join the honorary Podboy tier, you can send us suggestions for films to review. We'll add them to the Patreon pool, which we uh, choose from at random. Christ compels you to. Christ compels you. And hopefully uh, after this week, Sam will continue to be an honorary Podboy. Hopefully we didn't... didn't, offend him too much but also thanks to our other honorary pod boy sarah morris uh without sarah and sam the show would be way less fun so we appreciate y'all uh, so much you can follow us on twitter at pod people pod and at letterbox.com slash pod people pod where you'll find a list of all the films we've talked about on the show with our average ratings and links to those episodes. Mm-hmm. I'm on Twitter at some spooky snake. I'm on Twitter at Mr. Sheets. And I'm occasionally tweeting for Lightx Studios. We put out progress on our... our... Want to try that again? Nah, it's fine. Leave it in. Uh, on our game, it stares back. That's LightArc Studio. Um, uh, you can also find my work on DreadXP. If you go to DreadXP.com, you'll see a whole host of games that we're working on. Um, uh... And I'm just having a blast. Uh, this week I've been painting portraits of puppets for our game, My Friendly Neighborhood, about a puppet show uh, that has set that has been abandoned and you have to return to it. And it absolutely slaps. I, I, I mean, I cannot say it enough. And it just has been such a hoot drawing posters and portraits of puppets. Uh, I, I'm just, I'm living, I'm living the dream. I live my best life right now. And uh, yeah, so big, big old shout out to Dread XP. Uh, for uh, 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 letting me work there and just having a great time. All right, that's it. Well, thank you, dear listener, for hanging out with us, for listening to us talk again, as always. Uh, but it's time for me to go to the bathroom and try to get all these demons out. Power of Christ expels you. And you get trapped, but you ain't the boosted nigga. No, no.
on purple, ease my mind. It's that shit that we get high to. Yeah, it's murder, murder, murder. Gotta keep getting mad.